It's time for Tower Talks from Inside Towers, the wireless infrastructure industry's podcast. Industry Towers editorial staff leverages our extensive network of industry sources to provide thorough reporting, pinpoint trends, and arm you with the knowledge needed to thrive in your career. And here's your host, Inside Towers managing editor, Jim Fryer. And welcome to Tower Talks. I'm Jim Fryer, managing editor of Inside Towers. I am here in Boca Raton at the headquarters of SBA, sitting with their CEO, Jeff Stoops. Jeff, welcome. Thanks, Jim. Great to be with you. Thank you for having me. This is a wonderful building you have here. I got the full tour and uh, very impressive. Uh, thank you to Lynn Hopkins for her help, too, in uh, putting this together. So uh, glad we get the chance to sit down and, and talk about what's going on out there. Let's talk about how you got into this. You were with a, a law firm prior to coming to SBA, correct? True. I was with the law firm Gunster, and I got a call one day from a litigation lawyer in our firm who happened to be the CFO of SBA's brother-in-law, and Steve Bernstein, who was the sole owner and founder of SBA, and at that time, 100% shareholder, was looking for a lawyer. Uh, he and I got introduced. He had a number of things he was looking at, and we struck up a great relationship. And at a point in time shortly after that, he looked to raise some money, bring in outside investors to make the move into the ownership of Towers, which SBA was not into at that time. In fact, there really was not an independent uh, tower ownership industry as we know it today. Prior to that, that was 96 so Steve asked me to join him initially as general counsel in 97, but really to come in and begin the company's transition to tower ownership. And uh, I said yes, and I've been here ever since. It's been uh, 22 wonderful years. Yes, and job well done, just judging by the, by the size and uh, uh, the dynamics of this building. Of the, the big three tower companies, I guess if we're trying to generalize things, uh, you know, American is the one with the with the global footprint. Crown's the one who got into fiber. Uh, how do you think SBA is perceived in general terms? Well, we came along all about at the same time, but as a public company, we went public last of the three. Uh, so we really had to differentiate ourselves uh, from the start, and we were never going to be the largest, and, and that really has continued to be the way we viewed ourselves from the start. Instead, Jim, we focused really on trying to uh, build uh, and acquire and then operate the highest quality assets that we could in the industry. Assets that would withstand the test of time, that would always be relevant to our customers in terms of their communications needs, and assets that, as best as we could tell at the time, would be highly desirable and always needed over the various twists and turns and generations of where communications infrastructure not only was at that time, but where it would be headed. And, I, and we've been very pleased with how it's turned out. It's caused us to be a very focused company, probably stuck to our knitting perhaps a little bit more than, than some of our peers. Uh, we perhaps have a, a, a slightly narrower focus, but that has, uh, that has served us well over the years and we're very proud of, uh, of the company that we've built and, uh, and the, uh, the rewards that we've been able to provide for our shareholders. Well, having said that, uh, you actually do have a pretty solid footprint in South American markets, Central American markets. What is your distribution 
outside of the U.S.? We are rapidly approaching almost uh, 50% of our towers uh, outside the U.S. And uh, perhaps even as we speak here today, uh, and if it's not here shortly, uh, we're going to be uh, crossing the 30,000 tower mark uh, as a company of which roughly at last count we were 16,000 and some in the U.S. and then the rest uh, internationally and that's that's not going to be very long before the uh, I suspect the international count exceeds the U.S. Now that's that's a little bit different on a revenue basis we're still probably 82-ish percent uh, 80 maybe as much as 85 percent of our revenue comes from the U.S. And even more of that is denominated in U.S. dollars because of, uh, all of our Central American uh, revenue is denominated in U.S. dollars. Uh, so the revenue mix is, is different than the tower mix, but we obviously do uh, have a very large and growing Latin American presence. So we've been very pleased with that. Latin America um, has really developed equipment-wise pretty much exactly along the lines that we'd seen in the United States. So obviously we were very familiar with that and operationally we were very comfortable with that. Uh, but it was, it's been, you know, five to ten years behind the U.S. So we got in uh, and have been in there during periods of great growth and, it's, and we believe that great growth uh, lies ahead in Latin America. That's where we're building uh, most of our new tower builds, uh, particularly in Brazil. Uh, and we've, we've really um, uh, enjoyed the, our time there, and we think we're going to continue to uh, to grow quite a bit down there and create a lot of value. Wonderful. So things like fiber or uh, data centers, uh, edge computing, uh, that's, that's not in the foreseeable future? Well, they could be. And the reason I say that is uh, we're watching closely, and actually we have some... Uh, trials today in the edge uh, computing, uh, the mobile edge computing area, you know, we're all reading the, the literature and the, and the projections about where people believe 5G will take, take us and the belief that the computing power will need to be closer to the edge and the edge perhaps being as close to the wireless uh, signal as the tower site. Well, who's better equipped to have that than we are? course, with the 30,000 uh, soon-to-be tower sites and growing, we're working today on trying to be positioned with our tower sites to, to take advantage of that wave when it comes. What we don't know today, Jim, is how we really want to uh, take advantage and capture that, that wave of mobile edge computing when it comes. And what I mean by that is, will we be a traditional landlord? where we will rent space out to someone else who will operate and own that, that mobile edge data center, or will we actually take a more active role in that? You might have seen uh, that we have a trial uh, today that's underway uh, outside of Gillette Stadium in Boston uh, at one of our sites with a company called Packet. We actually own a, a mobile edge computing unit, a mini data center, SDA owns that, and, and operates it. Packet is actually running it in terms of the computing and leasing out space to, to third parties, and it's been very successful so far. So we're experimenting with all that. Um, it'll, it'll be very small, uh, and it may be years before it actually takes off, um, but we're doing our best to try and stay, uh, stay ahead of where we think the future's headed.
I wouldn't be uh, earning my pay if I didn't ask about Sprint T-Mobile. Uh, how will a merger impact SBA if it happens, and how will it impact it if it doesn't? Well, that's a good question. Um, you know, we, we think about that every day, and first thing I do when I wake up is I look at the news and inside towers and the other news <laughs> to, uh, to see, uh, you know, what the latest is on the, uh, on the Sprint T-Mobile deal. And, you know, you have to, you can't miss a day because the news changes quickly here. <laughs> you know, T-Mobile has, uh, and they were very public about this at the WIA show, um, has already made some very serious commitments to bring uh, broadband coverage uh, to all, all of America. Um, and that's going to mean a lot of deployments, um, which uh, are going to have some date uh, certain times, which are going to put a lot of demands on T-Mobile and their suppliers, such as SBA, to deploy additional network resources to fulfill those those network uh, requirements, which particularly I think are going to be of interest uh, to us because we do tend to have a footprint that tends to be skewed more towards the non-urban, you know, the highway corridor, the rural areas, which are the areas that the government was looking to uh, have T-Mobile commit to, and which in fact they have committed to. So I think if the if the merger goes through, you're going to see initially a, a burst of activity First, to fulfill those commitments that T-Mobile has made to the government, but also in order to satisfy and service the subscribers of Sprint, which T-Mobile isn't going to want to lose, so they're going to need to um, uh, bring over and deploy a lot of the uh, frequencies that uh, Sprint had in their network, which means a lot of amendments to the existing T-Mobile network. So we expect a lot of activity right out of the gates if, if the deal gets done. If the deal doesn't get done, you know, T-Mobile will be a very strong, viable company like they are today. Uh, they will continue to be very busy deploying Spectrum. I would imagine they'll be looking to acquire uh, additional Spectrum. Uh, I think the, um, the bigger question is what will happen with Sprint? Sprint is a huge company with a nationwide network and uh, what I, I think it's a much clearer picture what happens with T-Mobile if the deal doesn't go forward. It'll be kind of business as usual. I think the bigger question will be what will Sprint's options and path be going forward. Um, and we'll just have to wait and see what happens there. Everybody talks about exposure. So SBA's exposure is relatively low then. Yeah, I, I think either way um, you're going to see cycles of, um, and, and initially the first cycle will be greater activity, uh, and then there will be a cycle followed by network rationalization, which will mean some uh, cell sites coming down if the merger goes through, particularly where Sprint and T-Mobile are on the same tower site, which of course you would expect. Uh, and then again, that will be followed by a period of, and then again, this all assumes the merger goes through, that will be followed by a period of greater development now that you would have at that point a company that ostensibly now is directly competing with AT&T and Verizon and you need to spend the kind of the same amount of CapEx dollars on network that they spend each year. Now the other thing that's you know recently um, come to come to the fore is the belief that the Department of Justice 
is not going to approve the deal unless a true fourth uh, uh, carrier, at least one that has a, a, a facilities-based carrier, emerges out of this. And you know, the recent rumors, and I don't have any particular inside knowledge on this, is that it's Dish because they seem to be farthest along in terms of their own spectrum holdings and their own network build. Uh, and if that happens in, in you know any number of ways, that of course will be very good for our industry, very good for SBA, I think in particular, because now you've got a fourth um, uh, player, and you know the simple math of our business is the the more viable tenants you have for our assets, uh, the better off uh, the industry will be. What about the, the C-band spectrum? Do you think that will be coming to market and be deployed in the next uh, 12 months, or, or is that optimistic? Yeah, I. it's hard for me to predict the timing. Um, I'm very excited about the C-band because I think it will be very, um, I think it's probably the last beachfront spectrum real estate that's left for what is thought to be the, the, the best stuff for 5G, the, the mid-band uh, type spectrum. Uh, and it will be uh, the last good spectrum, particularly for our assets, which of course, as you know, are mostly macro site towers. The C-band is going to be a macro type deployment. And I think a lot of folks who are smarter than me on the technical side believe that it's really going to be very highly sought after, particularly as we move to a 5G world and is a very well-suited spectrum, actually, for the BMO antennas, which folks believe are going to be necessary to achieve the, the true 5G um, specs and speeds and latency and all that. But whether it's 12 months or not, I, I don't know. Lately, there's been a few publicized uh, issues that cropped up in California regarding locations on school grounds and, and uh, the, the blowback from various sources as to what the cause of that was. Um, are, are you you seeing that firsthand in your your attempted build outs or, or working with uh, different communities and, and trying to build out uh, a, a a pushback as far as uh, public perception of towers? We have seen that occasionally, and it and any time you want to build a tower on school property, it is it is a difficult proposition, and. It's unfortunate because it is always a few parents whose fears are based in unfounded rumors and, frankly, some crazy theories, of which there are plenty out there. Well, plus they, they find uh, Confederates out there to help them in that proposing those theories, and, and they, they find quote-unquote experts out there who have very questionable backgrounds and but cloak uh, themselves with, you know, some call themselves experts yes. and, and tell them what they want to hear. That, yes. Yeah. And, and, the, and the problem is what we need and what is so hard to find scientific proof that the emissions from cell phone towers are harmless in the sense that they do not lead to any of these types of uh, problems or cancers or diseases. 
but of course that takes many, many, many years. And um, what we're trying to do is disprove the negative. But what you have is a few, you know, uh, parents who get everyone stirred up. And because the school board is a, is a political party uh, or a partisan uh, political animal in many cases, the unfortunate part is in many cases the school board just decides to abandon the project, notwithstanding the fact that in, many, in almost every case it's a highly needed um, asset. The, the wireless signal enhancement that could be provided in these areas would be to everyone's benefit and the revenue that the school districts would enjoy uh, from having a piece of wireless infrastructure on their prop property could do light years to the benefit of the kids there. But, you know, when, when a parent comes in and says, I, I'm not going to, I don't care that there's no proof that anybody's getting harmed, which is in fact all anyone can say, I don't want to take the chance. Emotions overtake logic and in most cases, uh, you don't see these projects going forward, which is unfortunate. What then do you see as, as challenges ahead for the for the tower industry? You know, I think the challenges continue to be the same challenges that they've been for a number of years. We need to find new ways to to grow. We need to continue to partner with our customers. We need to uh, help our customers to grow profitably. You know, one of the things we're blessed with in our industry, uh, it seems to be a, a never-ending source of consumer demand for wireless uh, data, products, and services. And, you know, with that comes the uh, direct physical need for additional um, infrastructure equipment. So all that, uh, you know, really bodes well for us. And we just need to continue to make the delivery of, of what we have more efficient so that we can do this uh, in partnership with our customers and our communities and our, uh, and our workforces to, to not only speed this uh, process up, but make it as, uh, as economically as efficient as possible. And, and we can wake up every day for the next 20 years and, and uh, continue to make progress in those areas. I've been very impressed with SBA's efforts, not only as from a business model, but you have put together quite a good uh, charitable arm of SBA called SBA Cares. Um, want to tell us about that a little bit? I do, and, and I want to uh, commend uh, Lynn Hopkins for that because she, she runs that with the, the help of a lot of folks around here. But, you know, one of the things that I, uh, we pride ourselves in and I, I take a personal interest in and I want to see our charitable contributions in terms of dollars invested by the company and time spent by our employees. I want to see it grow every year and we track that and we report on that every single year. But what SBA Cares does, uh, it, it does three things. It, it uh, donates on behalf of SBA by the corporation to a number of different causes in the various communities in which we serve. It matches its employee contributions to a wide variety of certain philanthropic causes uh, up to a certain uh, dollar amount per year. And then the third thing it does is it, um, and we've authorized a certain amount of time each year per employee to actually take time off and go volunteer 
and we use that not only on an individual basis, but what we found um, even more powerful and not only helpful to the communities in which we serve, but also as a culture building exercise here at SBA is we use those as team building exercises. So we'll go out and build a house, frankly, for like a Habitat for Humanity or paint a house or, or do things like that. So SBA Cares not only helps us give back to the communities, which we all feel an obligation to do, but it actually helps us attract the best and the brightest employees because we find in today's day and age, people really want to feel good about the company that they work for. And I think people really feel good about the SBA CARES uh, portion of SBA and it helps us, uh, helps us get those best and the brightest. And, and certainly does not hurt the public image of the tower industry. No, one of the other things we do, and, and I will, um, I will speak. And one of the the causes that, and I and I'll say this um, to all my tower brethren out there: that if you're not, if you're not at one of the charities that SBA supports, and and we're pretty um, rabid about this, is the Tower Foundation. And for those of you who don't know what that is, you should find out about it because what the Tower Foundation does is it supports the families of tower folks who have been injured on the job. And many of those folks have been more than injured. They have, um, you know, they have passed away because as you all well know, tower climbing and working on towers is a very, very dangerous uh, occupation. And we've lost very, very uh, too many of our colleagues. And the Tower Foundation is a wonderful organization that was assembled and, and the folks who are running it are first class folks and we could not be prouder of our support of that organization. Uh, to that end, you have your own service department, so you do your own training in-house. Yeah. yeah. And that's proven to be beneficial to you to have that because all we hear is lack of finding good crews and yeah. qualified crews, uh, especially working on, on tall towers. So that is certainly a, a unique aspect of, of SBA. That, that really goes back to our roots, Jim. You know, SBA uh, came at this from the services side of the business. We started out in 1989. This is our 30th year, actually, as, as a company. 20th year as a public company, but 30th year as a company. Um, in the services side of the business, site ag, zoning, construction management, um, we have since expanded that to actual construction. So we do have probably 400 to 500 uh, folks on the services side of the business spread out throughout the country. I guess maybe 30 different offices throughout the country. We do not do services work outside the U.S., so that is, is limited here. But it has helped us tremendously, and it's helped us in, in a number of ways. It's made us smarter owners, operators um, of towers. It's made us better with knowledge of what a good tower site is, where it should be, how it should be operated. It's kept us closer to our customers. It's allowed us to distinguish ourselves um, with our customers because we get things done quicker. It has allowed us to look extremely good in terms of turnaround times on our own assets because we deploy our own crews. We know our assets better than anybody, of course, anyway, because they're our assets. And then when you combine that with the ability to control your own crews, we can typically 
cut in half the turnaround times of our customers relative to the time it takes them to go on anybody else's sites. So all that stuff has been very, very beneficial to us. And we have always considered ourselves the kind of the blue collar guys, the guys who like to get you know, dirt under their nails. Um, and that culture has served us well, and, and it's a part of who we are, and it's a, I think it'll be a part of who we always will be. On that note, Jeff Stoops, CEO of SPA. Thank you so much for your time, Jeff. Thank you, Jim. Thank you for listening to Tower Talks. To subscribe to our podcast, our daily newsletter, or use our other industry resources, please visit InsideTowers.com. Until next time, you've been listening to Tower Talks from Inside Towers, the wireless infrastructure industries podcast.